Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Hello, I'm Marina Yevshanko, host of the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast, and today is February the 12th, 2024. It's been 3,668 days since Russia's illegal occupation of Crimea on January 27, 2014, and one year and 353 days since Russia expanded its war of aggression against Ukraine. Today's podcast looks at events that happened over the weekend. During the podcast you will find the Russia-Ukraine war map helpful to visualize the areas discussed. A link is in the podcast description. There are map updates. The Russia-Ukraine war report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from our direct contacts and journalists in Ukraine, the Russian Ministry of Defense, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine Morning Reports, Operational Commands North, South and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geospatial experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian male bloggers and social media channels with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with the daily assessment. 1. Despite progress in the United States Senate, we maintain that the US has ended financial and military aid to Ukraine, unless there is an unforeseen event that changes congressional leadership before the 2024 elections. 2. We assess that the acute shortage of ammunition is directly impacting the battlefield and contributing to recent Russian advances. 3. The operational situation for Ukrainian troops in the Avdiivka area of operation is in a critical state and continues to deteriorate. 4. Russian commanders have put mission objectives over all other considerations and are committed to capturing the Avdiivka salient regardless of the cost. 5. Russian forces have restarted their offensive to capture Chasiv Yar, west of Bakhmut. 6. Combat that closely resembles World War I trench warfare versus 21st-century combined arms maneuver warfare will continue for the foreseeable future. 7. Russia's ongoing political purge is accelerating, and the Putin regime is fast-tracking its transition into a fascist state. In the medium and long term, this shift will further endanger global security and stability. 8. We maintain that while the possibility of an intentional nuclear accident caused by Russian occupiers at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains low, the condition is more serious than what the International Atomic Energy Agency is reporting. Before I get started, we couldn't possibly cover everything in the weekend situation report in today's podcast. There is a lot more news in our daily situation report, and there is more information in the podcast description. We begin in Kharkiv Oblast, in the Kubiansk area of operation, or AO. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or Armored, claimed Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the areas of Sinkivka and Ivanivka. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops tried to advance in the area of Tabayevka, but were unsuccessful. Shortly after midnight on February 10, 10 Iranian-sourced Shahid-136 one-way drones attacked Kharkiv. Eight were shot down. At least one UAV struck a pipeline behind Kotelna Street in the Nemeshlansky district. The burning fuel leaked onto Kotelna Street, destroying 14 houses. 
seven people burned to death in their homes, including a family of five and a married couple. Rescuers found the children's mother, Putyatina Olha, cradling her two youngest children, ten months old and four years old. Her husband and seven-year-old son were also killed, and officials had to use DNA to identify their bodies. Five people were left homeless. On February the 11th, Kharkiv Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Oleksiy Nyohubov reported that Russian S-300 anti-aircraft missiles used for a ground attack struck Lubutin, west of Kharkiv. There were no casualties, and only light damage was reported. In the Kremennaya of Luhansk Oblast, Armod reported that Ukrainian forces were on the offensive in the area of Dubrova. In the Lysychanskaya, Russian forces continued their attacks north, east and southeast of Belohorivka. Geolocated video confirmed a tactically significant Russian advance to the eastern edge of the village. The map was updated. East of occupied Novo Alexandrivka, a Russian 9S-36M air defense radar and a Buk M3 air defense system were destroyed. We'll link to pictures in our daily situation report. A link is in the podcast description. Next, let's talk about the Donbass, starting in northeastern Donetsk Oblast. In the Bakhmutyo, Russian forces broke through Ukrainian defenses northwest of Bogdanivka and advanced through the forest belts and wood blocks to within three kilometers of Chasivyar. Russian forces haven't consolidated their position on the ridge above Bogdanivka, but in our assessment, the situation has degraded significantly. The next major obstacle is the Siversky Donetsk Donbass Canal. However, in the village of Kalinina, the canal turns into a pipeline, providing a point where Russian forces can cross into Chasivyar. Southwest of Bakhmut, fighting continued in the area of Ivanivska, with no change in the situation. In the Klishivka area, Russian offensives were repulsed north and east of the village of Klishivka. In southwestern Donetsk Oblast, Russian forces made tactically significant advances in the last 48 hours as the situation continued to deteriorate in the Avdivka AO. The commander of the Tavria Operational Strategic Group, Brigadier General Alexander Tarnavsky, reported that the situation, quote, remains tense, and Russia's goal is, quote, to capture Avdivka, Novomikhailivka and the territories lost last summer, at any cost and as soon as possible, unquote. He added that Russia has increased the use of armored vehicles in their assaults. A spokesperson for the Tavria grouping of troops said that in the event of additional Russian advances, quote, we should be talking about an operational encirclement of Avdiivka, unquote. Some Ukrainian forces that fell back to their secondary defensive positions complained there were ill-prepared trenches that offered no protection from artillery, airstrikes and drones. The signal that encirclement is possible if the situation degrades further may be Kyiv setting conditions in the information space to accept a withdrawal from Avdiivka. The shrinking number of semi-accurate Russian mill bloggers suggested that a long fight lies ahead. Mercenary mill blogger Wogonzo wrote, quote, There is no talk of encircling the Ukrainian garrison, but the situation is critical for it, unquote. Geolocated video showed that Russian forces had crossed the railroad bridge south of the Avdivka coke plant and were within 300 meters of the intersection of the T-542 highway and Industrialny Prospect. The main ground line of communication, that's a G-lock, a supply line, has likely been rendered unusable. The Russian Aerospace Forces, or VKS, 
continued to bomb the coke plant, we'll link to a video in the situation report. Russian forces have also advanced along the western edge of the sand quarry, reaching the swimming beach in northern Avdiivka. On the southern flank, fighting continued in the industrial district and near the Tsarskohota resort. Two Russian tanks were destroyed as heavy fighting continued. For the west, Russian forces tried to advance through the no-man's land between Vodyane, Severne and Tonenke, with no change in the situation. Fighting continued in the eastern part of Parvomaiske and east of Nevelske. In our assessment, Ukrainian forces do not have the resources to push Russian troops back. In the Marienka EO, Russian troops withdrew from Krasnohorivka back to the northern edge of Marienka. Ukrainian forces retook control of the mine complex mineshaft southeast of the settlement. The map was updated. Fighting continued on the eastern edge of Georgievka and northeast of Pobeda, with no change in the situation. In the Vogledar EO, Russian forces made multiple attacks on the southeastern and eastern edges of Novomikhailivka, but continued to be unable to consolidate their gains. Ukrainian source Deep State reported that Russian occupiers built a 30-kilometer-long defensive line from Olenivka to Volnovakha using over 2,100 railroad cars. The new fortification is visible on medium-resolution satellite images. In the Staromlinivka EU, mutual fighting was reported on the Donetsk-Zaporizhia oblast's administrative border, north of Priyudne, with no change in the situation. In Zaporizhia oblast, there continues to be only light fighting in the Urihiv EO. Ukrainian forces made marginal gains southeast of Robotene, near the northern edge of Novoprokopivka. The map was updated. A Russian base in occupied Tokmak was hit by rockets fired by HIMARS, striking a warehouse with Russian armor and trucks, destroying several vehicles. Thanks to bad Russian operational security, we have pictures. In occupied Berdyansk, Russian collaborator Oleksandr Gali was killed. Insurgents didn't provide specific information on the cause of death. I have a lot of updates from the Black Sea, occupied Crimea, Mykolaiv, Odessa, Romania and Moldova. On the night of February the 10th and the 11th, over the Mykolaiv region, Ukrainian air defenses shot down 18 of 19 Shahed-136 one-way drones. The attack damaged a city administrative building, civilian homes and a gas pipeline. On February the 9th and the 10th, Russia launched two waves of Shahed's at the Odessa region. Debris struck port infrastructure in Odessa, wounding one. During the second wave, another 12 drones were shot down along the Danube River. Three people were wounded south of Ismail, and a fourth was hurt in the town. Falling debris caused a fire in a private home. During the drone attack on Ukraine's Danube ports, Turkey scrambled F-16s from Fatehti Air Force Base in Romania. The General Inspectorate for Emergency Situations of Romania also issued an air raid warning for the Tulcha and Galazzi districts. Romanian officials said that there was no indication that its airspace was violated, but a search for drone debris was ongoing near Tulcha. The Ministry of National Defense of Romania condemned the attack, quote, on the facilities and elements of civilian infrastructure in the Ukrainian Danube port. These attacks are unjustified and seriously contradict the norms of international humanitarian law, unquote. The Buddha police of Moldova found the debris of an Iranian-sourced Shahid-136 drone in the village of Etulia. 
President Maya Sandu warned that Russian aggression was increasing. Quote, Russia's war on Ukraine hits close to home in Moldova again. The discovery of Shahed drone debris in southern Moldova today serves as another stark reminder of the grim reality we face. Russia's aggression endangers the entire continent. Support for Ukraine must continue. Unquote. I have updates from western and central Ukraine. In Dnipropetrovsk oblast, a Shahed 136 UAV struck the Pavlograd region. Power was knocked out to part of the city in the Senelnikova. During the evening of February 11, a Russian missile was shot down in the same area, with debris damaging a power plant and knocking out power to 39,000 homes. Two more Sheheds were shot down near Cherkasse and another two near Zhitomyr. Here is my theater-wide update. From February the 10th to the morning of the 12th, Russia launched 93 Shahed-136 UAVs, with 77 shot down or disabled by electronic warfare. Ukrainian aviation expert Valery Romanenko said that the decreasing success shutdown rate during drone attacks is due to the need to conserve air defense missiles. Over the last 10 weeks, the air defense success rate has dropped from over 90% to 60%, but improved to 83% over the weekend. Lieutenant General Sergei Naev called for unity, declaring, quote, The work is not finished. The war continues, unquote. After he learned he had been dismissed as the commander of the Joint Forces of the Armed Forces of Ukraine. Lieutenant General Yuri Sodol, who commanded the Naval Infantry Forces of Ukraine, was named as his replacement. Lieutenant General Alexander Pavlyuk, who was dismissed on February 10, was named the new commander of the ground forces of the armed forces of Ukraine. President Zelensky also named Major General Anatoly Barhilevich as the new chief of the general staff upon the recommendation of Colonel General Alexander Sirsky. The Territorial Recruitment Center, or TCK, in the Ternopyl Oblast, is denying claims that a 40-year-old man was killed in combat nine days after reporting for mobilization. The TCK reported that the recruit died on February 9 due to a heart attack while undergoing training. French President Emmanuel Macron postponed a planned February 13 visit to Kyiv indefinitely, citing the security situation. In a separate announcement, France confirmed it was going to provide Ukraine with 40 more Scalp air-to-surface subsonic cruise missiles. The Ministry of Finance reported that Ukraine only received $436 million in external financial support, down 90% compared to a year ago. Despite multiple speeches and back-channel talks by former U.S. President Donald Trump, Attempts to derail a Senate-led military aid package for Ukraine, Israel and Taiwan failed. The bill cleared another procedural hurdle, 67-27, to 27, in a rare weekend vote. One more Republican crossed party lines, with 18 voting in favor of advancing the package. Final approval is still several days away due to the delaying tactics of Republican Senators Mike Lee and Rand Paul. The table for Russia versus Ukraine heavy equipment losses, using information from the Oryx database, was updated on February 11, 2024, and includes the losses suffered during the Prigozhin insurrection of June 23rd and 24th. 
The table is part of our situation report, and there is more information in the podcast description on how you can become a subscriber. It's time for Mobix, Mobilization and Mir. The Ukrainian 46th Air Assault Brigade captured a Russian contract soldier from Sierra Leone. In Zaporizhia, Ukrainian soldiers with the 118th Mechanized Brigade found the IDs of Russian contract soldiers from Kyrgyzstan near Robotene after a recent offensive. Russian contract soldier Suman Rai from Nepal claimed that a family member in South Korea paid a $2,000 bribe permitting him to break his contract and return to Nepal. U.S. news agency CNN reported Nepali lawmaker Bimala Rai Padial, testifying in parliament, said 15,000 Nepali citizens are fighting in Ukraine on behalf of Russia. Syrians are reportedly being brought to Moscow, giving citizenship, and immediately mobilized into the Russian Federation Armed Forces. Moscow is actively recruiting contract soldiers from Cuba, Sudan, the Central African Republic, Somalia, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, Malaysia, and the previously mentioned Nepal and Sierra Leone. 21 members of the Russian 155th Naval Infantry Brigade claimed that a battalion commander was sending the units forward without artillery or medical support. The Marines claimed that Russian blocking troops shot members of their unit when they tried to retreat. In the video, the platoon appealed for Russian commanders to take action against the unit's political officer and battalion commander. On Friday in Edinburgh, the air crew of the Il-76 shot down near Belgorod on January 24 was buried with military honors. Absent from the funeral were the three alleged Russian guards who were on the military transport, whom the Russian Ministry of Defense has never named. The Kremlin claimed without evidence that 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war were on the plane when it crashed and continues to refuse to return the alleged bodies to Ukraine. Russian troops shared a picture of the Chaburashka multiple launch rocket system being used. Why is that a big deal? The Chaburashka was developed in the so-called Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, and can fire 64 240mm rockets with a range of 9,600 meters. The ammunition likely came from North Korea, indicating that the rogue nation is supporting barrel and tubed artillery. Despite sanctions, the Italian arms manufacturer Beretta has supplied over 800,000 rounds of ammunition and almost 6,000 small arms to Russia. An investigation by the insider and Italian publication Irpi Media alleged that shell companies owned by Russian arms dealer Mikhail Hubuta were arranging the shipments. Russian and Ukrainian sources claim that Russian troops are using SpaceX Starlink internet terminals, and it has become systemic. Russian troops shared pictures of stacks of Starlinks being unboxed, and members of the Russian 83rd Air Assault Brigade are using Starlink in the Avdiivka and Marienka AOs. Adding to the proof, Ukraine shared a video of a drone dropping an IED on a Russian position equipped with one of the SpaceX internet terminals. SpaceX CEO, CTO and chairman of the board Elon Musk denied that Russia had the terminals. On Twitter, also known as X, Musk tweeted, quote, A number of false news reports claim that SpaceX is selling Starlink terminals to Russia. This is categorically false. To the best of our knowledge, no Starlinks have been sold directly or indirectly to Russia. 
unquote. Multiple Russian male bloggers mocked Musk's claim. Romanov Light wrote, quote, We should expect it to be available everywhere in the northern military district zone. Quick sidebar, that's what Russians call occupied Ukraine. And they will be especially happy in the Luhansk People's Republic. Unquote. When pressed on Twitter on whether grey market Starlink terminals would work, Musk replied, quote, Starlink satellites will not close the link in Russia. Unquote. We're with you. We're not sure exactly what that means. The Moscow Times reported the former first deputy minister of defense and chief of the general staff, Russian general of the army Yuri Boluivsky, said that Russian military hardware had failed in battle. Quote, A record state arms program in the history of the country, costing the budget 20 trillion rubles for 10 years, it turned out to be powerless to eliminate the gap between Russian weapons and Western ones. The war in Ukraine has revealed problems with key types of weapons of the Russian army – artillery, missile systems, tanks and aviation." Unquote. Demonstrating that Baluevsky wasn't just dooming, a January 31st video recorded by Russian forces showed two Storm Shadow cruise missiles flying directly over an S-400 battery in occupied Crimea. The top-of-the-line Russian air defense system had activated but failed to intercept either missile. Oh yes, we'll link to that video in the situation report. A rare Russian S-350 air defense system was heavily damaged in occupied Ukraine after Russian troops ran over their own anti-tank mine. Russian male blogger Two Majors complained about the lack and ineffective nature of Russian anti-drone electronic warfare systems. They reported that the large Ukrainian Baba Yaga drones operate with near impunity. The deputy commander of Rosgvardia Special Purpose Mobility Units of the 1st Army Corps of the DNR, Alexander Khodakovsky, complained about Russian corruption slowing drone production and innovation. Quote, well-known corporations usually have very serious government support and apply for budget funds. Of course, they do not benefit from stones in their shoes in the form of smaller businesses, which can significantly damage their reputation. For example, when respected manufacturers needed flexibility due to the rapidly changing situation at the front, they were unable to provide it, and less stellar drone manufacturers grabbed the opportunity to occupy a niche. Our centralization is a consolidation with all the problems. We lack a real systematic approach to the issue of manufacturing and using UAVs. The enemy focuses precisely on a systematic approach, without relying on monopolists." Unquote. Earlier, we reported that Russian male bloggers were thrilled about the latest development in anti-drone technology – a stick. A new video showed a Russian soldier testing a new technological solution – a plastic water bottle. While the field test of the stick was a success, the video showed the plastic bottle needs further testing and development. Norway refused to provide former private military company Wagner Group commander Andrei Medvedev with asylum due to him being an illegal combatant. Medvedev's lawyer said, quote, If he was a soldier of the Russian army, he could be granted asylum in Norway, even if he participated in military operations in Ukraine. But since the Wagner Group was not formally part of the Russian armed forces, the Norwegian authorities believe that he should not receive protection as a refugee." Unquote. Medvedev has had three brushes with the law since he crossed into Norway a year ago. 
Over the summer he expressed his desire to return to Russia, but now wants to stay, fearing prosecution and torture. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. What's going on with Putin's purge? Almost a month after protests swept across the Republic of Bashkortostan, political repression continues. Security forces charged 40 residents of Nagaeva for holding an authorized public rally. The group recorded a video asking Russian President Vlad the Impaler Putin to stop deforestation in a public park and recreation area. The governor of Bashkortostan condemned a proposal by Russian dancer Riv Gabitov to hold a moment of silence for activist Rifat Daoutov, who died in Russian custody. Governor Radi Khabirov said, quote, He is accused of a serious crime, organizing mass riots and assault on the life of a law enforcement officer. This proposal is disgusting and immoral. Daoutov was never charged with a crime, and the Ministry of Internal Affairs claims that he died from drinking poisoned alcohol shortly after he was released from questioning. Almost 3,000 ethnic Bashkirs demanded the Russian Investigative Committee conduct a, quote, full and comprehensive pre-investigation check into the death of Daoutov. His family has repeatedly said that he didn't drink and wasn't even part of the rallies that assembled in support of activist Fail Alsinov. In 2023, Russian citizens set a record for filing complaints to the Housing and Communal Services of Russia. What does this have to do with Putin's purge? The State Duma has come up with a novel solution, advancing a law to punish, quote, eternal complainers. Russian citizens who abused the complaint system could be sentenced to 100 hours of work detail and banned from submitting future complaints for up to three years. Excellent job, comrade. Complaints are down by 50%. The Russian cosmetic company L'Etoile has started using magic markers to cover up the rainbow hair on the unicorn that appears on some of their packaging. The demand was made by company leadership after Moscow recognized any use of rainbow colors as LGBT propaganda. Russian journalist Maria Baronova was fined 70,000 rubles for holding up the photo of the LGBT flag on her cell phone in front of the Kremlin. The court fined her 50,000 rubles for discrediting the armed forces of the Russian Federation for an anti-war message and 20,000 more for illegally holding a rally. We link to the picture of her protest. Former State Duma deputy retired Colonel Viktor Alksnis warned that Russia's integrity was threatened due to President Putin's actions. Quote, the political purge has been emptied, a political vacuum has been created, the system of checks and balances has been destroyed, and elements of feedback have been eliminated. And this threatens very serious consequences in a crisis. This poses a threat to Russia's sovereignty and its integrity. That's why I'm ringing the bells about this. If you don't start correcting the situation today, then tomorrow will be too late. Unquote. Before you start golf clapping for the bravery of Colonel Alksnis, he has been battling cancer for months and is in poor health. 
our war crimes and human rights section sometimes discusses abuses and atrocities, including graphic details of torture, abuse and gender-based violence. Today's report contains mild content. Human Rights Watch completed an 18-month investigation into the siege of Mariupol and, after interviewing 240 survivors, concluded that President Putin should be charged with additional war crimes. The organization documented that at least 8,000 civilians were killed during the Russian attack on the city before mortuary record-keeping collapsed. Ukrainian prisoner Viktor Demchenko, 71, died in custody in a Russian pretrial detention center while being held on espionage charges. Demchenko was arrested in August 2023, and there was little information about his case. The United Kingdom news publication The Guardian reported the International Criminal Court, or ICC, is opposed to holding special tribunals for Russian war criminals. The ICC said they have no jurisdiction over the Russian Federation as the country does not recognize the Rome Statute. The claim is highly unusual. In March 2023, the court charged President Putin and Russia's Commissioner for Children's Rights Maria Lvova-Belova with war crimes for the illegal deportation of thousands of Ukrainian children. In the DNR, the Russian-controlled and illegitimate Supreme Court sentenced 33 Ukrainian soldiers to 27 to 29 years in a strict regime colony, essentially a death sentence. In May 2022, they surrendered as part of a United Nations and International Committee of the Red Cross brokered deal. The convictions come after another soldier who surrendered in April 2022 was sentenced to 18 years in a maximum security penal colony. Ukrainian soldier Volodymyr Tsema Bursov, a musician with the 56th Separate Motor Infantry Brigade, who was captured on April 12, 2022 in Mariupol, was repatriated on January 4. He lost 38 kilograms, that 84 pounds, while in Russian captivity. He reported he was transferred to different prisons multiple times, beaten, tortured and repeatedly interrogated. He suffers from multiple illnesses due to malnutrition, abuse and a lack of medical care. We'll link to his picture. The Ministry of Justice of the Russian Federation declared the Crimean Tatar Resource Center an undesirable organization. The announcement came less than a week after the ICC found that Russia was not committing war crimes against the ethnic minority due to a lack of evidence. Activists also reported that Russia is systematically erasing the Crimean Tatar language after the 2023 teaching banning. Since February 24, 2022, expanded Russian aggression has destroyed or damaged more than 500 religious buildings, including Christian Orthodox churches, synagogues and mosques. Over the last week, four children from occupied Kherson oblast and one from occupied Zaporizhia oblast were repatriated by the NGO Save the Children and the Way Home project. There was a lot of geopolitical news over the weekend, mostly due to a former U.S. president. During a campaign speech, former U.S. President Donald Trump sent shockwaves across Europe, saying he would not honor NATO Article 5 to any nation not paying their expected 2%. Of the presidents of a big country stood up and said, well, sir, uh, if we don't pay and we're attacked by Russia, will you protect us? I said, you didn't pay, you're delinquent, 
He said, yes, let's say that happened. No, I would not protect you. In fact, I would encourage them to do whatever the hell they want. You got to pay. White House spokesperson Andrew Bates condemned the remarks, quote, encouraging invasions of our closest allies by murderous regimes is appalling and unhinged, and it endangers American national security, global stability, and our economy at home, unquote. The president of the European Council, Charles Michel, said that Trump, quote, serves only Putin's interests, and called the statement reckless. NATO Secretary-General Jens Stoltenberg repeated that the probability of a Russian attack on a NATO state is very high. He added that the alliance must switch to emergency production of weapons, as if in a state of war, and provide immediate support to Ukraine. The Minister for European and Foreign Affairs of France, Stéphane Sejournet, said that he is taking the threat of an attack on the NATO alliance by Russia seriously. Quote, in the current geopolitical circumstances, it is in our own interest to ask ourselves the right questions. Our defense budgets have to enable us to meet these challenges. We have to be more cohesive in organizing Europe's defense. Unquote. The Minister of Defense of the Netherlands, Kaisa Ollongren, called for increased aid to Ukraine and for Europe to invest more in its defense. Since Russia expanded its war of aggression in 2022, the Netherlands has provided 2.63 billion euros of military support. One more headline. The Finnish government decided to keep its border with Russia closed through April 14th due to the national security risk. Finally, I have economic news about Ukraine and Russia. Polish farmers are actively blocking multiple border crossings with Ukraine, including building barricades with dirt and tires. In one incident, protesters dumped Ukrainian grain from a truck and slashed covers and tarps. Despite the land border issues, in January Ukrainian exports by sea returned to January 2022 levels, according to Prime Minister Denis Shmahal. Since last summer, more than 660 ships have carried over 20 million metric tons of cargo to 32 countries. India sent its first batch of bananas to the Russian Federation, after Moscow banned imports from five Ecuadorian companies. The monkey business started after Ecuador agreed to transfer $200 million in Soviet and post-Soviet-era military equipment to the United States in exchange for future military aid. Future military aid? Good luck! Three days after the weapons transfer was announced, Moscow implemented the ban, accusing the five companies of shipping diseased bananas. Ukraine's attacks on Russian refineries dropped oil exports by one-third in January. According to a Reuters-Thompson report, gasoline exports dropped 37% and diesel fell 23%. Mandatory production cuts by OPEC Plus have also eaten into the export numbers. And that's what we know. Your support of my home, Ukraine, helps us make history and protect the future for all. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.